Good morning, Keystone. It's good to be with you this morning and continue this series on fear that we started a couple weeks ago. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up them up to Luke chapter 12. We're in verses 22 through 32 there this morning. Uh, part, part of what we said we're trying to do in this series is to grasp the, the right fear of God in such a way where it impacts and shapes and helps us fight and overcome the, the kind of other fears we might have in this life. That, that in many ways, we're trying to do exactly what we sung about in that last song, to see how much bigger our God is than anything else, and, and also with that to say, see how much better he is. Or like we talked about last week, to see how great he is and how good he is. And in the last four weeks of this series, what, what we're going to do is take kind of a specific bucket category of fear, that's how I'm going to term it, uh, in our lives and, and try to work through that and see how a fear of God ultimately can help us in the midst of these other fears in life. life. And so this morning we're going to start with the, the fear of uncertainty. Uh, a little over a year ago, we took our Nissan Rogan for its yearly inspection and it was getting up in miles. I don't remember how many miles it had on it, but it was at the point where you kind of take it in and you just kind of hold your fingers throughout the day like, I hope this is closer to $100 than $1,000. Uh, and we got the call from our mechanic midway through the day. Uh, it starts with the words that no one wants to hear. Uh, I've got some, some bad news for you. Uh, this wasn't even like a, I've got good news, bad news. This was just straight, I've got bad news for you. Uh, he told us that our uh, transmission was, was failing uh, and that ultimately it was going to give out at, at some point. Uh, and, and then he, he said this, he said, I, I can't tell you exactly when it's going to give out on you. Uh, it, it may last for another two years, uh, and it might give out on you in the next two weeks. And so all of a sudden, every time we got behind our uh, car and, and started the key and got on behind the wheel, there was this level of uncertainty. Like, it, it almost felt like we were playing Russian roulette. Like, is this going to be the time where the transmission gives out and leaves us stranded somewhere? Or will we dodge the bullet for a, just a little bit longer? That, that uncertainty about our transmission kind of clouded the future. And what I found in that moment was I just craved certainty. Like, I just want to know, is this, is this going to last a year or is it going to last a week? When is it going to go out on me? And, and I think that's a small picture of our lives and what we often experience in our lives that there's so much uncertainty in our lives about the future, so much that's unknown. And so often we just crave for a type of certainty. I just wish I knew for sure. That, that we want certainty about how things will look with our health, with our finances, with our kids, with our loved ones, with our friendships, with our jobs, with our country, with our world five years from now. And yet we live with the uncertainty of how things will look next month, let alone tomorrow. In Luke 12, 22 through 32, we find Jesus speaking to his disciples, people who live with lots of uncertainty just like us. And what we find is that rather than giving them certainty about the future, something that Jesus doesn't do for them or for us, Jesus wants to give them something that's actually better uncertainty about the future. He wants to give them a greater trust and confidence in the God who rules over the future for them and, and for us. So, so this morning, as we look at this passage in Luke 12, we're going to try to understand the connection between fear and uncertainty and see how those two things connect together. 
to, to see one of the ways that we might be prone to deal with uncertainty that goes wrong, and, and then ultimately see, to see how God invites us into a greater trust of him as we look out at all that's uncertain in the future. Or, or here's how I'll, I'll put it just for the big idea for us this morning. We are meant to fight the fear of uncertainty with trust in the God who is certain. And so let's pray and then read in Luke 12. God, you tell us over and over and over again in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, that you are a rock and a refuge, that you are steady, sure, secure, certain, unchanging, in the midst of everything else in our lives that is unsteady, unsure, unknown, uncertain. And so God, we, we ask this morning that you'd help us to see just how great of a refuge and rock you are so that our lesser cares over everything that might lie out in the future for us fade away as we fix our eyes on you. We pray that you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 12, starting in verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They, they neither toil nor spin. Yet, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The, the first thing that we might observe, just as we read through this passage, and honestly, as, as we reflect on our own experience in life, this is really nothing new for you, I would guess, but, but I think it's helpful to see how Jesus says it and why he says it. And it's this, that fear and anxiety feed on uncertainty. Fear and anxiety feed on, thrive on uncertainty about our future. Jesus tells the, the disciples he's speaking here, or speaking to here, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat. Do not, do not be anxious about your body, what what you're going to wear, the clothes you're going to have. What, what is Jesus speaking into here when he's saying this? He's not addressing some present threat to the disciples, right? As if there was a robber right there who was attempting to steal their food and take their clothes off of their backs. He's speaking out into the future, talking about a time where the disciples might be worried about not having food or not having clothes down the road. 
This is where people sometimes differentiate between fear and anxiety. I've kind of been using those terms interchangeably, but I think it's helpful to see how people differentiate between these two. Saying that fear is a response to a clear and present danger right now, whereas anxiety is a fear of something that hasn't happened yet and may never actually happen. That, that anxiety, another way to put it is that anxiety is looking out to the future and fearing something unknown. Here's a way just to picture this. Why are little kids scared of a monster in the closet or under the bed? Because they can't see into the closet and they can't see under the bed, right? And so though there is really no monster, most likely under that bed or in that closet, the fact that they can't see it makes them think it is there. And as they think it is there, they become certain there really is a monster there because I can't see it. Why, why do we get anxious about something that might happen in the future? Like not having enough food. Maybe, maybe we don't get over anxious over that one. But not having enough money or, or a medical diagnosis or losing a job or never getting married or having kids, or, or not finding the right career, whatever it is that we get, we get anxious about over the future that's uncertain. Be, because we can't see and know the future. And yet, as our mind fixates on those uncertainties, we start to fear them. And as we do, we end up wasting away the present, worrying about the future. Again, you probably already know this. This is nothing new, but, but I think it's good to see how Jesus is teaching on this. Anxiety is a wasting away of the present, worrying about the future. Jesus tells us, first of all, in Luke 12, 23, hey, your life is more than food, and your body is more than clothes. What's he, what's he saying there? I think part of what he's saying is life is about so much, there's so much more to life than whatever thing you and I might be anxious about in this moment. But part of what anxiety does is it dwindles life down to that one thing that I am fearful of. So, so anxiety about the future of our finances can keep us from using them wisely and generously in the present. Anxiety about some future disease can keep us from enjoying the gift of God's health in the present. A anxiety about work and what's coming up next week can, can keep us from enjoying our friends and family that God has given us right here, right now. Anxiety about the future will cause us to miss out on the joy of living for God's kingdom right here, right now, in the present. It'll keep, it will keep us from loving and obeying him and loving other people because we become so consumed inwardly on me and my fears and what might go wrong in my life. A anxiety is a thief that seeks to steal what God wants for us in the present by having us dwell in the future. And Jesus tells us not only is anxiety a thief, but it's also a waste. He says it in verses 25 through 26. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? What's he saying? Kyle, all your anxiety can do absolutely nothing to change anything in the future. It simply wastes away the present. B being anxious and fearful about the future, it's like trying to chop down a massive tree using a sledgehammer. That tree will not budge, but you and I will end up wasting our time and our energy in the present doing something that is ultimately 
futile. And, and notice, we, we can gloss over this, I think, because this passage might be familiar to us. God doesn't want us to be anxious over the uncertainty of the future. Like, he doesn't want us to be anxious. Part of what Jesus is doing in this passage as he exposes anxiety as a thief and a waste is seeking to free us and remove the burden we might carry on our shoulders that God never wants us to carry. Here's a way I, I kind of picture that in my mind. I imagine if I found out my four-year-old son was worried and anxious about how we're going to pay the mortgage on our house. That during the day, his mind was just running with how we're going to pay the mortgage. And, and at night, it kept him awake like he couldn't sleep. If I, if I found out about that, what, what would I do? I'd say, son, you don't need to worry about that. Why are you anxious about that? That, that's not a burden that I, you, you should carry. That, that's for me to be concerned about. Jesus is telling us in this passage, God does not want us to bear the burden of being anxious over something in the future that might happen. He, he doesn't expect us to. He's saying, let God worry about that. He wants to bear that weight for us so that we can live for him in the present. Do you know who does want us to be anxious? Satan wants us to be anxious because he's a thief and he loves to steal and rob the type of joy, peace, and purpose that God wants for us in the present. And anxiety is one of his great weapons he uses to try to do that to us. Which should then leave us asking the question, how do I fight back against anxiety of the unknown and the uncertain when that fear comes creeping into my mind and my life. And, and there's actually a wrong way that we can fight back against it and a right way that we can fight back against it. And, and we might, first of all, just look at the wrong way for a little bit. That we seek for ways to make the future certain. How many of you have seen uh, commercials recently for California psychics. Anyone seen that? All right, I guess I just watched too much TV. I don't know, I thought people, wa I thought people saw this. I've seen these commercials like five times in the past month, and I don't watch that much TV. But, but there are these commercials where, where someone comes on the screen, and, and they've got some decision they've got to make about their future. And then the commercial shows a literal cloud that's over their head, signifying the uncertainty of the future and what, what they're going to do about it. And, and then the commercial, it's really short. It ends with the cloud being taken away, them having a smile on their face, and then these words being read in the background. Thankfully, with the help of our insightful guidance, you can clear away the doubt and listen to it. Experience the joy of certainty. Thankfully, you can clear away the doubt and experience the joy of certainty. Now, we might hear that, and we might roll our eyes or kind of laugh at the idea of using a psychic to clear up the future so that we can have certainty. But before we start to puff ourselves up with pride, we should recognize that we are just as prone to rely on certain things to make the future certain or secure. And though ours, we may think our ways are more sophisticated than a psychic, they are no more reliable. In fact, Jesus actually points out one of the big ways we're prone to do this. 
One of the big ways we try to make the future certain and secure. In a parable he tells right before the verses that we read. If you jump back to, to Luke, cha- or Luke chapter 12, verse 16, Jesus tells this story. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Do you hear what that man is saying in verse 19? He's saying, I don't have to be anxious about the future because I've got enough money and enough goods stored up that the future will be secure and certain. But, but his money just provided a false sense of control over the future because he died that very night. This parable is a blunt picture of what Paul also says in 1 Timothy 6.17, where he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We, we are just as prone to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches and think a certain amount of money and material possessions can somehow give us control over the future so we don't have to worry about it so much. But we, we don't just do this w- with money. We, we can do this with, with anything. We, we, we might think, I don't need to worry about my health because I work out and I drink a fruit and kale smoothie every single morning, and I only shop in the organic aisle, and I get the optimal amount of sleep in my sleep number bed every single night. And so we might think, my my healthy habits in the present actually give me control over the future. Or or we might think, I, I don't need to worry about the possibility of some illness if I endlessly research it, and I have all the information that I need about it. That, that we might be prone to think more information gives us control over the future and makes it certain. And, and yet, anyone who's ever gone onto WebMD knows that more information can really just make you more anxious, right? You, you've got a cough? Bad news, that's a symptom of the Black Plague. You're in tr- right? Maybe that's why, part of why, we're, we are more anxious, because we have inf- all the information we think we need at our fingertips, and yet in the long run, more and more information just makes us more and more anxious. Or or what about, I don't need to worry about my kid's future if I make the right schooling choice today. Or or I don't need to worry about danger from other people if I have guns, security systems, and a backyard bunker. Now, now hear me for a moment. I may be talking a little bit cynical, but, but... All those things can be good things. To to be wise with your finances, to have healthy habits, to make good schooling choices, security systems, guns, they they can all be good. I'm not saying they're just bad, right? I kind of like the idea of having a bunker in my backyard. That sounds nice. But what I'm pointing out for for myself and for all of us is that we, we can be prone to take these things or other things and try to use them as means to control the future and make it predictable and secure. 
And, and in this way, those things become up, end up becoming forms of idolatry that we put our trust in rather than in God and that are completely unreliable to control the future. It's almost if, if like you were on a plane and when the plane hits turbulence, maybe none of you do this, I do this. When the plane hits turbulence, what do you do? You grab onto the seat handles really tightly and you might be prone to think, if I just hold on tight enough, this plane won't go down. That, that's foolish, right? Whether the plane stays in the air or not depends entirely on the pilot. In the same way, our future and what happens depends entirely on God. And no matter how much I might try to grab onto other things and say this will control the future, they just let us down. Well, think for a moment, where in your own life are you prone to put your confidence for the future outside of God, to try to alleviate fears of the future? Now, I think it's also good to see here, our longing for certainty is actually a form of longing for self-sufficiency. Notice if you read back through that parable, how many times that man says, I, I, I. He, He says it six times in three verses. I, 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 I. Not once says anything about God. He, he wants to be self-sufficient and only rely on himself. See, as sinful human beings, there's this battle within us where like, I know I should rely on God and that's what's good for me. And yet deep down, I still find this sense in which I said, but I only want to rely on myself. Like I want to get to some place in life where I don't have to trust and depend on God so much. Why is that? Because ultimately, there's still part of me that wants to be in a position of control rather than a position of trust. And so although we may long for certainty about the future, for God to give us that certainty would actually prove harmful for us because it would actually cause us to increase our self-sufficiency and reliance on ourselves and drift from him. When I take my dog out for a walk or a run, she would love nothing more than for me to take her leash off and let her go. And yet that would actually end up being harmful for her because she would run away and most likely get hit by a car. Though we may long and crave for certainty, it's actually a really good thing that God does not give us certainty about the future because uncertainty is a good leash he uses to keep us tethered to him trusting him and relying on him rather than running from him in prideful self-reliance, thinking, I don't need God anymore. This is where we come back to what we said in the beginning. God wants to give us something better, better than certainty about the future. He wants to give us a greater trust in him. That trust in God leans on the one who is certain in the face of what is uncertain. In, in the middle of Jesus' teaching, in Luke chapter 12, he says these, ver- these words. I think it's in verse 28. Oh, you of little faith. Jesus is not saying that, I believe, to condemn us. Rather, he's exposing the root of our fear and anxiety about the future as in some sense unbelief or failure to trust God. Now, I, I want to be 
careful here and, and recognize that, that there are lots of factors that go into fear and anxiety, including biological factors, which is why I think it can be helpful and important for people at times to, to seek medication or professional help that can help with biological factors of anxiety. But I would also make, make the argument that there's always a spiritual component to our anxiety as well, where we're battling to trust God, fighting to trust him. And when Jesus, what Jesus is trying to do in this passage is not to beat us up or make us feel guilty for being anxious, but rather he's trying to increase our faith and give us a greater trust in God in what he says in these verses. Maybe you can picture it this way before we kind of point it out, draw it out from this passage. Let's imagine for a moment that you or I have been wearing a virtual reality headset, right? It covers your eyes, and all you can see is what's in that virtual reality. And imagine for a moment that you've come to believe this is actually what's real, what I'm looking at. And it's, it's some scary image. And as you take it in, it's left you fearful and anxious and terrified as these images just keep coming after you. It would be a great relief in that moment for someone to come along and to rip off that headset and to say, that's not real. Let me introduce you to the real world and reality. And as we took in the real world and what's really true, our anxieties and fears might start to dissipate about what is untrue or unreal. Jesus is seeking to help us see reality as it actually is in Luke 12, 22 through 32. He's telling us what's really true and certain so that we might believe it and find our, eye, or find our lives losing fear, the fear dissipating as we take in what's true and certain. And he does this with four truths about God. Four truths about God. Maybe more than that you can point out, but I'm just going to point out four. And the first one is really foundational for all the other three. The other three are going to build on the first one. And the first one is true of everyone and everything, whether you believe in God or not. And the other three that we look at are ultimately only true for those who put their faith in Christ and are following him. The first truth is a radical truth behind what Jesus says in the passage we read. It is a life-altering, reality-shaping, fear-shattering truth. Did you catch it as we read through? It's really easy to miss it because of, again, our familiarity with the passage or even our assumptions about the world. And so think for a moment. What does Jesus say? Or listen again. He says, consider the ravens. God feeds them. Consider the lilies. God clothes them. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that the reason the lilies look the way they do or any flower is because God designs and clothes every single one of them. The reason the ravens eat a worm is because God hand feeds every single one of them. In fact, that, that word for feeds is actually going to be used later in the New Testament to refer to mothers nursing their children. Though on the surface, all we see is a raven pulling a worm from the ground into its beak. Jesus is saying the reality behind that is that God brought the worm to the surface and he guided the raven to that worm so that we can speak in such a way as if God was hand feeding the worm. 
Jesus is telling us God's hand of providence rules over everything, big and small. That God rules everything by his hand of providence. John Piper puts it this way. He says, providence is the purposeful sovereignty that guides all things towards God's ultimate goal. Or as Ephesians 1.11 says, which maybe you're familiar with, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Our lives are like chess, not like Candyland. What do I mean by that? If you ever played Candyland, you know the future of that game is entirely up to chance. Whether I land on two purples, one blue, or the peppermint patty has to do with whatever card I pick up. I can do nothing about it. Our lives are, though we may view our future like it's Candyland, it's not. Because our lives are like chess, where every single design and every single move and every single piece is, is moving because of a purposeful design, someone who is moving it. Every single aspect of history, of the world, and of our lives, including every single detail about our future, is ultimately in God's control. And he's the ultimate chess master because he's infinitely wise and infinitely powerful and he never makes a mistake. We should stop and recognize if we don't believe in God, if we only believe in a materialistic universe, then we live in a world that's being run by impersonal forces that care nothing for you and I and our well-being. If that's the world we live in, we have every reason to be anxious. In fact, we should be far more anxious than what we actually are. And yet Jesus is telling us that is not the world you live in. That is not the reality behind this world. Rather, the world we live in is one where God's hand plans, purposes, and carries out every single event. Now, that's the the foundational truth, which the other three truths build on and ultimately become this rushing waterfall that pours water onto the fire of our anxieties about the future. And and the three truths that, that, that do this can be all found in Luke 12, 32, where Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. One person says about this verse, this might be one of the most important verses in the New Testament. Whether you believe it or not, hopefully we see how powerful this can be for our fears of uncertainty. But, but remember, we said the, the third three truths only apply to those who put their faith in Christ. And so if your faith is in Christ and you're a Christian, these truths are true for you. And if you're not, Jesus invites you to put your faith in him and these truths become true for you. What, what can we learn from this verse that would help drown, suffocate, destroy our anxieties? First is this. God is a good shepherd who cares for you. God is a good shepherd who cares for you. Jesus calls his followers little flock. This is why we're anxious at times, right? Because we're like little baby lambs. 
and we know there's a whole lot of predators and wolves and bears out there that could get us. One of the reasons we get so anxious about the future is because we think it's up to us to protect ourselves from all threats, and yet we know how weak and vulnerable vulnerable we are, and so we get anxious knowing that we we can't do that. A, a, A little baby lamb cannot keep a bear from attacking it any more than I can keep my body from getting a terrible disease. But Jesus is saying, fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid of bears. Why? Because the little flock has a good shepherd, a good shepherd who cares for his sheep, a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep to save them from their greatest enemy, death and God's judgment for sin. And our good shepherd is the one who runs everything, including the future, which means it's not up to us to protect ourselves from future threats. That's under the control of our good shepherd, and nothing gets past him. And so the only things that do get past him, he promises to ultimately use for our good. Let's keep putting our fears under the waterfall of this verse because next we find God is a a good father who provides for you. That's a a familiar truth to us. But over and over and over again, we have to remind ourselves what a fear-crushing truth this is when we believe it. Jesus is saying in this passage, if God provides for the birds and the flowers, how much more will he provide for his children? In fact, when he talks about the ravens, he's talking about like the nastiest bird you can think of. It might be comparable today if we said, if God provides for the turkey buzzards, how much more will he provide for you as his child? One of the reasons we get anxious about the future is because we think it's up to us to provide for ourselves and to make sure that we're okay. But, But if your faith is in Christ, the one who rules over every single aspect of the universe is your good father, who loves to provide for you and I. And so God says, don't worry about those things. Just like I might tell my son, don't worry about where you'll get your next meal from. I'll take care of that. God says, don't don't worry about the, the future and whether you'll have enough. I already know what you need. Seek my kingdom and me, and I will take care of those things. And then thirdly, we can see God is a good God who delights to do good to you. Jesus says there is one thing that is entirely, fully, absolutely certain about your future and my future if we are his followers. That God is going to give us the kingdom. That that though there are all sorts of things in this life that may be uncertain, the one thing about our future, our eternal future, that matters most is certain. That we are going to live with God in his kingdom forever. Like what, what, what all does that mean? I don't know what all that means. But, but I do know that God's future kingdom is better than we could possibly imagine here and now in this life. R- Russell Moore, who him and his wife adopted uh, two kids from a Russian orphanage many years ago, gives us this picture of, of when they brought the kids from the orphanage and the kids were riding in their car for the very first time with them. And he says this about that experience. He says, they'd never seen the sun and they never felt the wind. They'd never heard the sound of a car door slamming or felt like they were being carried along a road at 100 miles an hour. I noticed that they were shaking and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. I whispered to Sergi, now Timothy, 
that place is a pit. If you only knew what's waiting for you, a home with a mommy and daddy who love you, grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's happy meals. Do, Do you hear what he's saying when he tries to whisper that into his new son's ears? He's saying, don't be afraid. If you only knew what lies in the future for you, you would have no reason to fear in this moment. That's part of what Jesus is saying to us when he says it's God's good pleasure. It's God's delight. It makes him happy to give us the kingdom. One of the reasons we get so anxious about the future is because we think what happens in the future is up to us, whether good or bad, that it lies on our shoulders. And Jesus says, no, it's not. No, it's not. What happens in the future is ultimately up to God. And he's a good God who it is his good pleasure to ultimately give you the kingdom. And if that's what he's going to do, if that's his ultimate goal for you and I, then surely between now and then, he'll give us all we need in the midst of whatever fears we have to walk through in this life. I want to close this morning by giving a specific application for us that this morning has been moving towards. And two ways that we can kind of apply this. But here's the kind of general application. Replace focusing on what is uncertain by focusing on what is certain. Replace focusing on what is uncertain in your life by focusing on what is certain. Anxiety and fear over the future rage when we fixate on all the things that are uncertain and unknown that could go wrong. God doesn't want us to dwell on those thoughts. Instead, he wants us to dwell on the truth of who he is and what he's promised to us. And this is how we practically fight back against anxiety and fear in the future. When anxiety attacks us, we don't have to let it rage. We can choose to fight back. And one of the best weapons God has given us is truth. Truth about who he is and what he's promised to us that we can believe and preach to ourselves. So let me suggest just two ways we can do this. First, we could take some specific fear we have about the future and ask, What is the truth that I need to believe about God and his promises that would help me in the midst of this fear? And so here's an example from the Biblical Counseling Center. Uh, It's on a study that they do on overcoming fear and anxiety. Uh, It's a study I included in the the bottom of your notes as a farther resource that I would highly recommend going through. Uh, And they have this idea of, they call it the fear cycle where wrong thinking, believing lies in some ways, just leads to more and more and more fear. And so here's the picture of it. The the fearful thought in this case is that I'll faint in the mall. And then there's this tension that's introduced where it's like, I I don't feel right. And then the fear is, it's happening again. And then the tension is, my my chest feels tight. And then the fear is, what am I going to do? And then the tension is, it's it's getting harder to breathe. And then the fear is not again. And and I can feel my heart. I can't control it. Do, Do you see how... Your fear, I would guess, probably isn't fainting in the mall. But I would guess if you would look at some fear in your life, you can see how it's had this type of cycle where if you believe it and fixate on it, it just spirals. And maybe it doesn't lead to a panic attack, but it just leaves you consumed with whatever that fear might be. There's this other thing they say. We're called to speak back to our fears with the truth about who God is and what he's promised to do. And so I have a second one up there that shows it this way. The same fearful thought, I'll faint in the mall. The the tension, I don't feel right, but I'll trust God for this. 
And it says, Lord, you're my strength. You promise to be my strength. Lord, help me do my responsibilities. And then the fear starts to subside, and we say, God, God, thank you for helping me in the midst of that. Do you see how replacing some lie or some fear of uncertainty with the truth of who God is and what he's done enables us to fight back and not just let that fear consume us and overwhelm us? And so maybe you can think of just one reoccurring fear about the future you have and think about what's the truth about God and what he's promised that can help me to fight this. Here's the second way we can do this. Maybe even more just practical for this upcoming week or day to day. As, as we go into each day, I think there are all sorts of things that could cause us to be anxious and fearful. And maybe in a really big way or just maybe in a, in a really small way. And, and, and one of the things we can do to prepare for that is to read God's word and, and to just highlight or look at or pull out one verse that we can then meditate on as we go throughout our day and the truth of it. So, so for example, th- this past week, Wednesday morning, I was anxious going into my day and what lied ahead of me. And, and as I was, re- I was reading the Bible that morning, I came across John 14, 1, where Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And I thought, Jesus doesn't want me to be troubled today. Like, he doesn't want me to be troubled. He says, believe in me. I've got it. I can control it. I know that God is with me and God is for me and he doesn't want me to be troubled, but he will take care of the things that I'm troubled about. Now, did that magically make the fear and anxiety disappear? No, it's not like a magic bullet. But it gave a weapon of truth to fight back against the fears and anxieties that might seek to drown us or consume us. I hope, I hope by saying all of that, I, I'm pointing out to you that, that I don't give this sermon as someone who has figured it all out and doesn't struggle with fear and anxiety. That is absolutely, entirely, 100% false. I, I can point to how I believe we should fight anxiety and the fear of uncertainty, but, but I'm a fellow struggler in that area who has to fight back, sometimes fighting well, sometimes fighting poorly, and sometimes barely being able to fight at all. And yet I, I know that this is true for me and for you if your faith is in Christ, that God holds on to us. And so even when our fears may seem to be most overwhelming, God holds on to us and carries us through them, even when we feel like we don't have the strength to keep fighting because he's a good shepherd, he's a good father, and he's promised to give us the kingdom. Father, we praise you for giving us the promises of your word, like Luke 12, 32, and so many more. We praise you for revealing to us who you are, your character, what you're like. God, we, we don't want to be people who live in fear of the future. And, and, and we believe you don't want us living in fear of the future as well but we confess that that we are weak and we so desperately need your help as we seek to battle back against all the fears about our future that might consume us day by day. And so God, we ask, be gracious to us. Be, Be gracious to us. Remind us of who you are. Give us strength and faith to believe the truth of who you are and of what you've promised to do in our lives. And as we believe that, I pray that you would cause our fears and anxieties about the future to, to 
dissipate and to shrink so that we might live joyfully for you in the midst of our present. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.